everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fear Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Zate. And here's the thing, I'm uh, I'm Jim. Hey, I kind of knew that about you. That's yeah, that's what they call me anyway. I'm glad it's my name because that's what everybody calls me. Oh, that makes it convenient. Uh, we want to thank you out. guys. Yeah, we want to thank you guys for letting us back all up in your ear holes again this week. Uh, once again, if you're looking for the podcast, uh, you've obviously found it. But in case you're wanting to send the broadcast link far and wide, here's how you can reach us. You can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. You can hit us up in Gmail, which is fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. And the backup email address where you want to send your show suggestions, guest suggestions, and your gourmet pie recipes is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. And, of course, if you want to find the latest and greatest episode, we post it first on Friday mornings at fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com and it is from there that we syndicate to all of the other fine podcasting platforms which, uh, you know, places like uh, Stitcher or Spotify or Player FM or iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts anywhere fine podcasts are sold, traded, and bartered for you can find the Fuel Your Fandom podcast In addition to that uh, we are still running with our Fuel the Future charity Uh, we are waiting uh, eagerly anticipating the first flyers for that, we should have those in our hot little hands very, very soon. Um, if you wish to donate to that, of course, that donation link at Venmo is at Fuel Your Fandom, all one word. You can hit us up on PayPal, which is Fuel Your Fandom, or you can hit us up on Cash App, which is Fuel Your Fandom. You might say we tried to make it a little easy. Oh, it is. You know, what's, what's the Venmo link again? Isn't it, uh, let me think, Fuel Your Fandom? Feel your fandom, yeah, and PayPal as well. Feel your fandom, handy, very, very handy, and indeed. We kind of just wanted to have it roll off the tongue, and 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 the idea behind that, again, for those of you who may not be aware, is we're raising money for uh, children uh, to get reading materials and comic books in their hands uh, at the people that maybe just can't afford them for whatever reason. Do you remember when you were a kid going to those scholastic book fairs at your school? And that not was the greatest money. shit ever. It really was. It was. Well, okay, not having money was 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 terrible. You know, because well, I, I, I remember video. going to those, and I didn't have any money for them, and so it's like you know I had to watch all the other kids buy all the cool shit, and I just kind of stood there and watched. And if we could stave that off, and you know, getting uh, getting some some comic books into the hands of kids is, uh, I mean, it's going to help create the next generation of fans, and that's really what we're all about here is promoting fandom, uh, trying to be healthy about it, trying to uh, make sure that we uh, keep things upbeat and positive, and getting comics into the hands of kids is a big part of that. Absolutely. We kind of just want to we want to be the reason some kid has that light in their eye and becomes a fan of something. We don't want to be like gatekeepers or, or naysayers or anything like that. I realize we come across as crass sometimes. We get that. That's Us just part never. of who we are. <laughs> You serious? <laughs> but we want to kind of fuel and foster the future with these, uh, another fancy F words. Um, we do see, tend we to have all the fancy F words now and again. <laughs> we have other F words we like. But we uh, Fuel the Future is going to be uh, our ongoing charitable contribution. And uh, we are still looking for uh, volunteer sites to uh, put our flyers up once we get them. If you know of any comic book shop or hobby shop that might be interested in helping us spread the word, 
hit us up in our Gmail uh, and uh, let us know and uh, we will make sure we contact them and gauge their interest in that. So that's kind of exciting. That's kind of fun. That's still moving forward. So what so. have we got on tap today? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, Jim, was it? Um, I think so. I mean, again, that's yeah. what everybody calls me, so that's what I'm going with. You might have to check your underwear, Check, see what it says. Uh, according to this, uh, my name is Calvin Klein. Calvin, why, why do you keep calling me Calvin? Well, that is your name, isn't it? Calvin Klein? It's written all over your underwear. Ah. But, <laughs> but uh, I kind of wanted to do uh, just kind of like a catch-up episode. Maybe do a little nerd news and maybe do a little uh, something-something else. And, and, and kind of I had a thing is... is I've been uh, thinking about doing this segment on the show, kind of like stealing from Family Guy, because we, maybe not stealing is the wrong word. Let's say homage. We're going to do an homage to Family Guy. Amateurs steal, but great artists, uh, they, they seek inspiration. So we're stealing. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to do uh, uh, a kind of a segment about what grinds my gears. And there's a couple of little things, and... Without getting soapboxy, without getting ranty, this isn't going to be like the big political, super hardcore topics. Because Lord knows we've done that more than enough recently. And, and, and you know, politics isn't the only thing that grinds my gears. I mean, it does. But... You know what really grinds my gears? I collect technology. I love technology. I like finding new tech. I like finding ways to integrate it with my current setup. Uh, I just recently went out and dropped major coin on a new laptop for editing and, and doing the podcast on. All right. And just like every time, it is hideously ridiculous to solve wiring and, and, and cable management solutions. And this is just my own personal beef uh, because, I mean, like I said, I have like 40-something actual consoles that wire to the TV if you look at all of them, and then I got like the handheld systems don't really count. So, uh, as far as wire management go, but uh, I've had to, every time I get something new, I have to wire it in, and there's this whole big process of getting behind the entertainment center, unwiring what's been wired, finding a way to make it work so it's not a fucking fire hazard, things <laughs> like that. Why would you want your house to not be a fire hazard? That's a little bit of a stringent uh, requirement, no. I would think. But, you know, hey, it's up to you, no, I suppose. It's your house. No risk, no reward, I guess. But, uh, and that's kind of the key reason I undid most of the, the consoles that lived on my TV for a very long time. is because there's just so much going on back there that I can't access very frequently and very easily. So I decided to kind of slimline it for now. Um, but when I uh, got this this wonderful sit stand desk that I, I work at in my house, uh, it's this beautiful glass topped uh, electric rising motor and all that, and and so I, you know, built in all of my electronics to it. My microphone I built into it. The the uh, recorder that I use I built into it. All of my various laptops I built into it. And so uh, when I got this new laptop, I had to go through everything and go behind the desk. And un undo all the cable ties, and undo all the zip ties, and undo the, the cord from my previous laptop to move it out, and then wire the new cord through. I mean, and it didn't take, it was like 25 minutes, but it's frustrating for me. It's kind of a thing that pisses me off, so. 
And that's what really grinds my gears. Jim, tell me something that grinds your gears. Well, what grinds my gears uh, is actually kind of a nice segue into the first thing I want to talk about on today's Nerd News Nexus Rundown. Um, we, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember the episode because it wasn't actually the thrust of the episode. But being a fan of nerd entertainment sometimes right. means facing a little bit of cognitive dissonance in terms of how said entertainment is produced. And we talked about this in the uh, Sparkling Consequences episode about how we really deal with the fact that some of our favorite movies, uh, like you mentioned um, The Usual Suspects and I mentioned The Ref and we were talking offline a little earlier, they're both great movies. They both star Kevin Spacey. And right. so kind of coming to terms with how we deal with the fact that, you know, yeah, those movies were made before we knew what they're up to, but the the behavior that they were engaging in that got them kind of booted out of the pop culture consciousness to begin with was happening when those movies were coming out. Right. So that is a problem, trying to figure out how to parse your love of certain channels of geek entertainment with the fact that the people that sometimes make the art that you enjoy are shockingly horrible people. One of the things I wanted to talk about on the Nerd News Nexus was the fact that there are some video game companies that are in the news this week because they have apparently been absolutely horrible to their employees. And not just horrible to their employees like most companies you think in that space would be. Like, oh, we're going to not pay you what you're worth. We're going to make you work 70 hours a week during crunch period. I mean, these are awful things, but they're not necessarily what you'd call problematic. I mean, the you know, un unpaid overtime, yes, is problematic, but... Not problematic on the same level that um, we're going to talk about here in a second, because both Blizzard and Ubisoft are in the news this week for being Again. pretty much institutionalized old boys clubs just absolutely full of sexual harassment. And there was an article that got posted on Kotaku, and it was from last week, and... Because of all the allegations of horrible sexual harassment at Blizzard in particular, there's a video that surfaced from about 10 years ago. And it was a panel at BlizzCon. And anybody that plays any Blizzard games was, is aware of what BlizzCon is. It's kind of their own mini E3. It's a convention where they talk about their games and talk about their company culture. And there's a 10-year-old video that, that, that resurfaced. Uh, and this, uh, this Blizzard player, who doesn't want to use her real name, her on-screen name is Xantia, X-A-N-T-I-A, and this Kotaku article, I'll just read from it for a second here. Xantia doesn't spend much time on Twitter, so she learned that California was suing Activision Blizzard for years of alleged sexual harassment and discrimination a couple of days late. She also had no idea she'd become the face of discussions about Blizzard's questionable past with women until a friend messaged her on Facebook with a link to a video. It's really weird seeing this whole thing getting press coverage for a question I asked 11 years ago. Xanti, who prefers to go by her World of Warcraft handle, protect her privacy, told Kotaku in a phone interview. It was just surreal. So the clip in question is an all-male World of Warcraft panel where the developers were sitting there, and they condescendingly mocked and dismissed a question by Xanti at BlizzCon 2010. Uh, she asked, So we appreciate the, uh, the fact that Blizzard is coming out with strong female characters, for uh, for World of Warcraft, but when are we going to see some characters that don't look like they walked off the pages of a Victoria's Secret catalog? Right. And half of the audience cheered, and half of them booed. And the guys that were on the panel said something like, well, what catalog would you prefer we take our characters from? And basically waved her off, dismissed her, rolled their eyes at her, um, you know, told her that uh, in no uncertain terms that her question was stupid. And in the video, you can just see, because the, the, she's at a convention, she's standing in line to ask a question to the panel, you could sort of see the, the sort of just, just crestfallen 
Um, oh, you're going to blow me off and push me off the microphone. Great. This look of uh, the eye-rolling resignation and frustration that this woman has after she asked the question, and basically they got blown off. Well, that resurfaced this week because Activision Blizzard has been in the spotlight for having, like I said, this old boys club culture at the developer and uh, freezing out women, uh, sexually harassing women. They even talk about how they had, uh, jokingly, a Bill Cosby suite at the hotel next to BlizzCon, and there's a photo of all these developers that worked at BlizzCon posing with a big picture of Bill Cosby because they thought it was very funny, all the allegations of, uh, you know, roofing and sexual abuse and all that, and they would bring women from the con back to this room, and, you know, there's just all kinds of allegations flying around. So that actually sparked uh, a cry of solidarity from current and ex-Ubisoft employees who are saying, yeah, it's not really much better over here. So there are... I think I remember reading there was a, uh, a class action lawsuit that's brewing at Ubisoft. There's certainly a whole lot of uh, consternation and a lot of saber rattling over there uh, from current and former staffers who are saying that it's really just kind of endemic to the video game industry in general. It's not specific to one employer or one developer, but um, they're having sort of an overdue micro-reckoning for women in the video game industry and what they have to put up with, not just as fans and as players, but also working on the developer end and uh, it's, it's kind of coming to a head. And a lot of the people who have been really affected by this are saying, you know what, it's really about fucking time. Because this shit's gone on for years. And um, the fact that they're just kind of coming out with their mea culpas now in retrospect, now that uh, it, it's kind of boiled over to a froth and they're pulling up all of these old things like this BlizzCon video to prove that, yeah, this has been a problem for a very long time. This is not a new thing. But it's finally just gotten to the point where the people who it's affected are, are fed up and, and, and asking for, for relief from it. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And, and of course, like we talked about before, we both follow Steph Sterling on uh, uh, the Jimquisition podcast and, yep. and their YouTube channel. And and they've been talking about for years how this Ubisoft and Activision and how they're just shit game companies. and that end of various... Steph was on the Ubisoft as crap bandwagon for a long time. They've had this segment at the end of a lot of their videos. Oh, Ubisoft, every time some horrible shit piece of news comes out about why Ubisoft is a, either a garbage developer or did something horrible with their games. Oh, Ubisoft. And Steph will go ahead and feature that. And I kind of, you know, I, I watched those and, uh, yeah, I mean, they always had really good points about why that was a really bad company. And there's a cognitive distance that I have because I don't eat it at Chick-fil-A because their their food turns into ash in my mouth. It just tastes like discrimination. I don't eat at Jimmy right. John's. I don't shop at Hobby Lobby. I, there's a lot of companies that, that I boycott. I have a very hard time with, with Ubisoft because I know that things have been shit there for a long time. Not just these new allegations, but also, like you said, Steph always highlights why there's issues there and, and uh, that, that Ubisoft has been a garbage developer for a long time. But they also make a lot of games I really like. Uh, I'm a right. huge fan of the Assassin's Creed series. And um, it, it, there's just a lot of stuff going on with that series that I really like, and there's reasons I like it. But I also know that, you know, just not, not just based on, on what Steph's been saying for years, but also all these new allegations about sexual harassment, um, I, I would have a very hard time not playing the games. And I know that kind of makes me a little bit of a hypocrite, because when it comes to shady business practices, you do vote with your dollars. And I absolutely do have nothing but empathy for the folks who have been affected by this. Um, you know, but the uh, the games are just good. So that that kind of puts me in... That's a reckoning that I have to come to. Because it, I, I realize the hypocrisy of me saying, yeah, but no games are good enough. Or no... no I, I realize the hypocrisy of me saying that no chicken sandwich is good enough to 
put money in the pockets of people who actively work to to ensure that the LGBTQ community is relegated to the legal definition of second-class citizens. But then I'll say something like, you know, I love to play uh, Ubisoft games, even though I'm a dyed-in-the-wool feminist and, and I'm disgusted about how they treated the women in their employ. It's a tough thing to come to, and I have to figure out what I'm going to do about it. I think one of the things that I've thought about that too a lot, and, and I think one of the things that I kind of came to the idea of was that... Um, <sighs> It's hard to describe in words because it makes me seem like a, a bit of a hypocrite, too. And, and I guess I'll take that. Like I said, we talked about having to do the work. And, and, and I'll take the, your the fact that. Yeah, exactly that. And and uh, there are a lot of good people behind these game companies. The people that spend the money or sparse. Excuse me. There's the people that spend the time making the games and designing the games at doing the actual grunt work, the, the actual abused employees, uh, they make a good product. They put forth all that effort. And so I guess that's where my my, my uh, fine line exists. But, I mean, again, I get it. I, I know there's going to be people that disagree with that stance. I know there's going to be people who say, well, what's good for one is good for the other. But we're going to have a whole long conversation coming up here about this cognitive dissonance and, and how we can separate the art from the artist. We've already got that planned out. Uh, but yeah, I get it. And, and I know for a fact that there was a, wasn't there a boycott? Like a, like a don't play Warcraft on this day from this time to this time if to show solidarity, something like that? I believe so. I want to say, you know, I wanna and, say there was. Especially when it comes to Warcraft, that's a tough thing to do because Warcraft... And again, maybe I'm not qualified to speak on this because I am not somebody who plays... MMORPGs, I, I prefer single-player experiences, open-world sandboxes. That's my, my preferred game. I don't never got into anything like EverQuest or World of Warcraft or any of those subscription-based models that are, are open-ended and the point is progress rather than actually finishing a game. I never really got into those. Uh, but, yeah, it just seems like it's, it's a tough thing between what Blizzard Activision, Activision Blizzard, whatever you want to call it, is doing and what Ubisoft is doing. I mean, it's it's... It's not a meaningful boycott unless it represents an, an actual sacrifice. Like, I remember 20 years ago, before any of that shit came out about Chick-fil-A, before I knew any of it, it was going on, but I didn't know any of it because the you know, internet wasn't as prevalent, uh, I actually ate Chick-fil-A food. And it's actually, if I remember right, pretty good food. They make a hell of a chicken sandwich. But again, no chicken sandwich yeah, tastes delicious. good enough to put, to put money in the pockets of the people who discriminate against gay people. So that's not worth it for me. But that, it represents a legitimate sacrifice because if they didn't have their shitty politics where they are, I'd probably eat the food. You know, health reasons notwithstanding, it actually is a really good chicken sandwich, if I remember. But it's not that great. It's not good enough no. to to, uh, to 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 put money in their pockets. But you know, I think the Ubisoft games. It's tough because they do have this culture of of if not a outright abuse, at least discrimination and harassment. So it's a really difficult thing. I, when in, in terms of Chick Fil A, it's a company philosophy that they give a portion of their proceeds to these horrible organizations, but. You know, if I have to come up with some kind of uh, work around, some sort of end run around the guilt that I feel, there are a lot of people, and again, this is it's not giving a free pass to the company. It's kind of like saying, well, what about all the good things Hitler did? He loved dogs. Um, but there are a lot of good people that do work on those games. Well, what about all the people that don't sexually harass women? It's a weak sauce sort of justification, and I'm still working my way through it, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, because the games are great. And, and the company it's, it's an might have some It's an evolving thing, yeah. It is. You know, I'm going to have to figure it out as it goes forward. But it's really tough. It's a really tough thing to figure out. Um, no, I get but it. for the time being, that they, they need to, uh, they're on notice, 
and they need to kind of clean up their backyard before they figure out what they're going to do and, and, and get their shit together going forward. Like I said, we got a whole big conversation coming up talking about uh, that whole ball of wax, but I didn't want to get super ranty today, so we kind of shelved that for the day. Uh, well, and then it brings me to another point of of, uh, of Nerd News Nexus articles. Uh, the whole ever-evolving story behind Scarlett Johansson suing Disney for mm-hmm. their release for their release practices for the movie Black Widow. I went out and saw Black Widow in the theater. I thought it was so great. I, I like I liked it. Fuck, I, I bought it again last night. We watched it at home on uh, Disney Plus. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I certainly feel like it fits right up there with all the other uh, wonderful movies that uh, that Marvel's been putting out. It definitely belongs in the MCU and what it does. And but uh, they kind of did sell that movie short shrift by releasing it digitally same day because you her contract if i'm not mistaken and from all the things that i've read uh a lot of her recompense for that movie was based on theatrical gross and didn't really and it didn't really account for uh the disney plus market now i know she's making money off of that uh, but it's not the same, I guess, and and so there's this huge discrepancy now throwing up in in uh, Disney's ball court, and then they're kind of taking some cheap shots at Scarlet because of the lawsuit, and it's just starting to get ugly. And it really is one of those things that calls into question a long-standing policy. Well, not a policy, but a long-standing practice. Um, the phrase Hollywood accounting has always been kind of thrown around to talk about how. The budgets for Hollywood films, I mean, this is talking even before COVID, even before streaming, uh, years and years ago, Hollywood accounting has always been an incredibly shady practice. And Hollywood accounting, you'll typically see the phrase in quotes, especially by folks who are industry professionals who are talking about it, because according to Hollywood accounting, it is very easy for any movie studio to prove that no movie released by any major Hollywood studio ever has made any money. If they want to get super, like, mafia, bookie, double sets of books, kind of, you know, keeping the the accounting very very vague and and obnoxious, when you start to tie in star salaries, crew salaries, catering, uh, you know, distribution and and, and marketing budgets, it's very easy to to prove that, that no movie's ever made money. But no industry ever continues when the products they release don't make any money. So you hear about a movie that costs $150 million to make, taking in something like seven eight hundred million dollars uh yeah i mean that's a pretty good return on investment but again it's easy to piecemeal and and portion out and prove that nothing ever made any money and usually when the studios do that it's to either weasel their way out of a contract that said a director or a star or somebody who worked on the movie gets what they call back-end points which is a certain percentage of the overall profits that a movie makes and very famously robert downey jr when he signed on as iron man very early on in the mcu Kind of like, it's, it's one of those legendary movie deals, like when George Lucas said, okay, uh, I'll give up a certain portion of the profits for the Star Wars universe, but I get all of the revenue from the merchandising. And then he sold t-shirts and toys and bed sheets and every other fucking thing under the sun, and that's how George Lucas made his millions, if not billions of dollars. So, RDJ actually also had a, a back-end points clause in his contract that said he made a certain percentage of all of the profits from an MCU film. 
which made him probably the richest person who ever starred in those movies. It's not a mistake that I remember Marvel made again uh, once they figured out, oh, we can make this movie for $200 million, excuse me, and it's going to make, you know, $2.6 billion overseas, and, and Bobby gets a chunk of that money. So, yeah, Scarlett Johansson had her payday for Black Widow, which, again, was a, a movie that was a long time coming. She was one of the first, aside from Hawkeye, who's getting his Disney Plus series, she was one of the only original Avengers who never had their own standalone film in the MCU. So it was a long right. time coming. It was very highly anticipated. It was a great movie, um, but because Disney Plus released it at the same day and date as theatrical release, even if it was premiere... Now, again, I listen to a lot of... I, my screenwriting podcast I listen to that's got John August and Craig Mazin on it called Script Notes. It's a huge podcast. It's fantastic. I always learn something new. But they always talk about like these points, these back-end deals, how the separated rights work for how you get paid for a movie, and it's just a goddamn Byzantine mess. It's absolutely legendarily Oh, screwed. yeah. And yeah, so you've got to have a different to, uh, degree in just to decipher contracts. It is that Hollywood accounting thing. It's, it's the exact same concept. So when they released on Disney Plus the same day, she got a chunk of the box office revenue, but I went to go see it the weekend that opened, and there were maybe fewer than 15 people in my theater. And yeah, you can blame same. COVID for some of that, but you also have to blame the fact that you could spend 30 bucks and watch it at home, and if you're bringing any more than two people to the theater, especially with what snacks cost now, 30 bucks at home mm. is a pretty good return on investment to see a movie. And if you can get a bunch of people together and split the cost, it's even more economical. So she did not get, evidently, from what I'm reading, I mean, it's all kind of in current litigation and they can't really comment on it, but the general consensus among folks in the industry say that she wouldn't have filed this lawsuit, had the contract that she had, only negotiated or only specified that she got a chunk of the box office receipts specifically. And because it was a split release, then she apparently didn't get a chunk of the streaming revenue. And so because of that, because God knows how many people, because they don't release these numbers, either Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or nobody uh, who has a streaming service releases the actual viewership on anything. They just kind of move the levers up and down and cancel things as they need to. Nobody really knows how many folks bought it on Disney plus premiere advanced release as opposed to went to see it in the theater and that is the crux of the argument she does not get a chunk of every person who saw that movie only the people that actually got up out their house and went to the theater and dropped the money at an actual cineplex to watch it and even some of the cineplexes are closed now because of covid so it's a giant gordian knot and she has every right i think to be complaining about that but because it's a can of worms that she opened uh there are a lot of people who are like i remember uh dwayne johnson was possibly looking at any legal recompense as well because no. I don't know if his contract Dwayne Johnson with Jungle said, Cruise. He said he wasn't going to. He said he's happy with his contract. And I think it was a weird stance for him to take uh, because he came out after um, Emma Stone came out saying, yeah, same thing yeah. with uh, Cruella. Cruella, yes. And, uh, and so uh, Dwayne came out and said that he was not going to take that stance. He was perfectly happy. It almost sounded a bit apple polishy to me, but, you know, what do I know? Yeah, could be, yeah. Well, I mean, that's... The thing is, and I've heard this a lot uh, on the screenwriting podcast that I, that I listen to, because the industry is changing so fast and because the contracts aren't, because people are locked into multi-year contracts sometimes, this is why, like, the writer's strike happened. It's, they've had a couple of writer's strikes because uh, these new platforms are emerging, 
and because the studios are trying to save as much money as possible and because the creatives are trying to make as much money as possible it becomes this tug of war between well we're making x amount of money and the creatives are saying the creatives and, and the, the crews are saying well we're, we're making the films so we deserve a bigger chunk of that especially if you're going to turn around and pull the rug off under us and fuck with us and do things like release things on streaming and then say oh but that's a television broadcast so it doesn't cover your box office release rights and all this other separated shit that they can split hairs and, and get to a granular level on the uh, the actual language of the agreements to say that oh this doesn't count as that so we didn't actually have to pay you the money that we said we would and people are getting pissed off about it and there's lawsuits and strikes and and the way things are going especially with movie theaters closing and these split releases on home video streaming and also in, in the theater all of this shit is going to come to a head at some point and i think probably scarlett johansson having this this uh this lawsuit it's going to be a big portion of the deciding factor of, of how these things are parsed out going forward Speaking of lawsuits, and I know this is just a tiny, tiny little thing, but uh, Johnny Depp has won a lawsuit versus Amber Heard, mm. um, and it's not the big be-all, end-all of that whole drama. Lord knows that's going to be going on for years. Yeah. But what it does force Amber Heard to do is reveal what she did with the money she got from the divorce. And now, I know a lot of people are asking, well, why is that important? Well, because she had publicly stated that the money from the divorce was going to these two charitable uh, benefactors, I guess. And uh, now this lawsuit is forcing her to reveal uh, in court and, and, and inadmissible as court evidence whether or not she actually followed through with that because there's a lot of uh, people talking about her if she's kind of a shady person and not I've heard this. on the up and up. So that's an interesting development. Turns out from a lot of sources, she was actually the aggressor and the abuser in that relationship. And mm -hmm. she just figured that she could get away with um, being abusive towards her partner. And everybody would believe her when she said he abused her because you know, that's kind of how woman. it goes with these things. You know, yeah, that, that's it's, just it's a shame, but that's how it works out a lot of the time. And, it, and that gives uh, females a bad name, too, because... Uh, like, you know, a lot of females don't get believed because they're a woman. And a lot of females have doubt cast on their name. And because it's, the, like you said, it's the, the old boys club. And, 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 and when you have something that seems shady like this, where she's using that to her advantage. Uh, oh, I'm just an innocent woman. I could never do it. And no, no. I mean, that just makes... That's a set... What did it talk about? You just set that back like 10, 20 years, you know? It, it, you it, set the it, woman's it moving shame. back. And, you have to yeah. believe women. You really do. And so when something like this happens and she comes along and it turns out that she's being shady the whole time, it just adds fuel to the fire of, well, maybe the next person who talks about abuse is not going to be believed the way she should because Amber Heard went and poisoned the well. I mean, it really is... It, it's a goddamn shame because as it is, most women... Who are abused they've, they've done studies most women who are abused who are uh harassed they they come forward with these allegations and they're not believed or they're shouted down or the denials come out and it, it just really the whole thing is a mess it really is and and it does it does cast a, a pallor a little bit on well now that you've done this and turned the the thing around to your advantage the next person who comes out with with a legitimate abuse accusation of which you know why don't women report was the hashtag for a while and Mm -hmm. Why I didn't report, and it was women who uh, who had suffered abuse and who had suffered harassment, and they were tweeting with the hashtag hashtag Why I didn't report, 
the reasons why it would not have been, nobody would have believed me. I would have lost my living situation. I would have lost my job. I had to weigh all of the potential fallout from me coming forward with this against a powerful person, against what it might do for my life. And I decided it wasn't worth it. I didn't want to be abused twice or, 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 or disbelieved or gaslit twice. And it, it really is a shame. Um, but, you know, I guess there's no easy answers to anything. And you just have to kind of take things on a case-by-case basis. But, you know, believe women is, is definitely the way to go. And and even if uh, even if in this one instance it turned out to not be probably the best uh, thing because she was kind of full of shit about it, you really still... Anybody who's, who's going to allege abuse needs to have the benefit of the doubt. And there needs to be... They need to be believed. They just do. No matter what side of the ledger they land on in terms of gender, no matter who they are, whether they're you know famous or, or just somebody off the street, you need to believe people who come forward as abuse victims. And you particularly need to believe women because we haven't really done that as a culture for a very, very long time. And, and even if there's some, some backlash from overcorrection, it, it's, it's an overdue sort of thing that really needs to happen. Agreed. And so, uh, fuck you, Amber Heard, for casting any kind of doubt on that kind of thing. Um, yeah. That's just my stance. I mean, you can feel free to disagree. Hey, if you disagree, send us an email. Interact yeah. with us. Let us know what you think. We want but to hear from you. We do. We definitely do. Um, so, a little bit of nerd news that's at a bit more positive vein. For those of y'all who may or may not know, uh, I am a huge fan of Netflix's uh, take on The Karate Kid, which is Cobra Kai. We're coming up on... Is it season three or four? I think it's season four. I don't remember which season it is, but it's it's the new season's coming out really soon, and I'm very, very excited. And uh, one of the bits of news that floated across the old Fuel Your Fandom desktop here was... Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this name. I know it. I'm aware of it. Jolo Marduena. Okay. He plays Miguel Diaz, uh, which was the student of Johnny Lawrence. And uh, he has been cast in the DC Extended Universe as our new Blue Beetle. And uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, Jaime Reyes is, uh, uh, I don't want to say a new character. He's been kicking around for quite a while now. But he's not the original Blue Beetle. He's not Ted Kord. He's just, he's this kid who's got this alien sentient suit of armor, basically. Um, And... You know, I'm, I'm really excited. This kid's a great actor. Uh, he is fun to watch. And, and and Blue Beetle's kind of a fun, interesting character. That I'm curious to see how they uh, they port that out as, uh, as a movie. So I'm excited about that. Have you, have you uh, had any uh, experience with uh, Blue Beetle, Jim? You know, I really haven't. And I've probably had even less with Cobra Kai. It's, again, we've touched on this before. There's just... We live in an age where there's just so much entertainment uh, between, you know, the seven dozen streaming services we all have uh, access to and, and all the cable channels <laughs> and everything else. Trying to keep up is impossible. And I, I liked The Karate Kid a lot back when I was, uh, you know, a kid watching it the first time. Um, but I just haven't had a chance to get into Cobra Kai yet. And I know that that's one of those things that's been on my list forever. It's you know, I'm just overwhelmed. Oh, you're going to love so it. so much entertainment. I know that you're I will. Gonna love I have it. every confidence that I will. I just have to get to it. Yes, I know. And, and sometimes that seems a lot. But I still have a lot of those CW shows I haven't uh, wrapped up watching just because uh, who has all the time, right? But, you know, I do. It's what I do. It's nerd news shit, and that's what I have to keep up with. My cross yeah. to bear, folks. But uh, 
uh, speaking of that, we, we decided in the household yesterday we didn't want to do anything. We didn't want to go anywhere. We just wanted to sit at home and, and watch movies and, and be lazy. And and so that's what we did. We ended up, we, we started off with watching Black Widow. Uh, me and my son had gone to see it in the theaters. But uh, because my daughter hasn't been vaccinated yet, we didn't want to take her. And she really wanted to see it. Uh, so her and my wife hadn't seen it yet. So we sat down and watched uh, that one and thoroughly enjoyed it a second time. And uh, then we watched, uh, what was it? Oh, no, we watched Suicide Squad first. The new Suicide Squad was first. Uh, because that premiered on HBO Max. Uh, since we are just talking about streaming services and whatnot. Uh, that premiered on HBO Max. Uh, a couple days ago on the 5th as of recording this and so we finally had the chance to sit down and watch that I, I tend to try to watch these things as quick as possible because I know as much as uh, social media is a double-edged sword it does like to ruin things and news articles pop up and and just just absolutely spoil everything so and they've gotten really to... brash and brazen lately they're putting spoilers in headlines now so it's not even like you need to click down to the actual article to have things ruined for you no you just they're scroll to... past it you scroll past your google news feed or scroll your facebook feed and you're going to see people posting articles with spoilers right there in the fucking title spoilers so that's yeah. garbage but i watched suicide squad this week excuse me i've been corrected about this on uh, on social media the original film um, was suicide squad this is the Suicide Squad. So we have Damn to make it. that distinction. Because, you know, it's not a soft reboot. It's not a sequel. There are some of the same characters. The only characters that are the same, or the only actors that are the same, that are playing the same characters. Uh, Viola Davis returns as Amanda Waller. We've got Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg. And Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. And, of course, the Margot Robbie, uh, the fantastic, lovely and talented Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. And I think that's about it. Uh, everybody else has been recast. They originally did, apparently, according to most reports, cast Idris Elba to play Deadshot, uh, the role that Will Smith played in the original film. But because they wanted to leave it open for Will Smith to possibly return at some point, uh, they recast him instead as, as Bloodsport. So it's a different character, right. um, sort of similar abilities, but we don't really want to talk about that. But I, I actually really enjoyed uh, Suicide Excuse me, The Suicide the Squad. The Suicide Squad, yeah. For a lot of reasons. Uh, it was really, you know, it's still very fresh. I don't want to, again, don't be part of the internet problem that ruins movies. But there were some great <laughs> surprises in that movie. There was a lot of fun. Uh, I laughed a lot. I thought it was fantastic. The performances were great. I thought the story was great. Um, and uh, the returning actors were great. The, the new actors were great. There were some, some genuine hearty laughs and some fantastic stuff going on in the movie that I don't really want to mess up. But... Uh, it almost sort of leads us to the, another thing we wanted to talk about this week. Uh, John Cena plays Peacemaker in The Suicide Squad. And his name is John Cena! And he's a better actor than he gets credit for, and he's also uh, fantastic in the film. A lot yeah. of great stuff going on with that character in the film. But uh, the fact that uh, the two biggest movies of this week, and actually, in fact, of this month are arguably The Suicide Squad and Jungle Cruise, both of which uh, have substantial roles being played by wrestlers. And that brings us back. We talked about Dwayne Johnson a little earlier. If you're some man, what the rock is cooking? These two guys are both, uh, in my opinion, dynamite actors. And uh, yeah. they've, they've broken out of their... They're sort of WWF slash WWE molds, and um, 
you know, we could even include Dave Batista in that because uh I'm gonna ask you this one time. Where is Gamora? Yeah, I'll do you one better. Who's Gamora? I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? Uh Dave Batista is he's shooting the knives out sequel right now. He did uh that um Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, one of the zombie movies pretty recently. Um, mm -hmm. He's also... Of Army of the Dead. Guardians of the Army of the Dead, that's it. I didn't see it. I'm not really that into horror movies these days. But uh, the fact that we've got these three wrestlers who have uh, broken out and become three of the biggest movie stars on the screen is, I think, fantastic. I, you know, I loved wrestling a lot as a kid. And uh, obviously, they're still, uh, still going strong today. I'm not into it as much as I used to be. But, you know, I think a lot of these actors, because... It's a serendipitous time because there are a lot of superhero epics going on and because they need people who have these impossible physiques to fill out the that uniforms. chiseled physique, yeah. And uh, it's not a spoiler, but there's definitely one scene in the Suicide Squad where John Cena gets to show off all the weightlifting <laughs> he's been doing. Um, I'll just leave it at that. It's very funny. But, uh, yeah, these guys It doesn't leave a shape. lot to the imagination. Not much at all, no. Um, but dude's in sick shape. I mean, if I look like that, I'd be naked most of the time, too. But the fact that um, these guys, uh, they build their physiques up to these Greek godlike proportions, and the modern Greek gods, of course, are our superheroes, so there are so many superhero movies happening, and you've got these amazing uh, characters that you have to embody. So uh, getting people who, who are ripped to the nostrils and, and look great in tiny shorts for a living is uh, kind of a, a really good way to sidestep into having a ready-made casting choice, uh, a bench of folks that you can just grab up and and slap in these superhero movies. So John Cena did a fantastic job. I haven't seen Jungle Cruise yet, uh, but I hear, you know, it's Dwayne Johnson, his Q score is off the charts. He's insanely likable. He's a fantastic actor. Uh, so uh, these wrestlers making big moves on the big screen is, is, I think, a really welcome trend I want to see more of. But yeah, us, I'm, and that's actually the third movie we watched yesterday. We watched three movies yesterday. I, uh, I need help. But we sat and watched uh, <laughs> The Jungle, not The Jungle Cruise. See, I got to take the the from The Jungle Cruise and Put it onto the Suicide Squad. We watched Jungle Cruise, and uh, yeah, it was it was great. My wife loved it. She was the one really wanting to push to see that one. My kids enjoyed it. I thought The Rock did a fantastic performance in the movie. It was a bit uh, predictable for my tastes, but it's yeah. good popcorn fare. So I mean, I mean, what what more do you want? Asses and seats. Imagine. And and that would asses, and that even would if do those it. asses are in are in those seats at home, right? So you know, superhero movies and, and big big bulky dudes on screen is a, is a thing that's uh, it's it's been a thing lately, and it's going to be a thing for the rest of the year because I was just this is another thing I wanted to talk about to kind of segue to an, another point. Um, this is a very very heavy superhero movie year. In addition to the Suicide Squad, which of course is a DCEU movie, we've got four, if not five. Uh, movies coming up on the uh the marvel release schedule of course black widow came out july 9th uh the next right. movie to uh, to pop uh on the the scene for the marvel folks is shang chi and the legend of the ten rings that comes out september 3rd uh the eternals premieres in november um spider-man is due somewhere around um christmas of course doctor strange and the multiverse is next year multiverse of madness that's next year that's scheduled for march but uh, in between that, we also have the Venom and Carnage movie, which is going to be released, I want to say, I just looked it up, it's September. So that's a pretty heavy release schedule. And I know that 
I know it's not really a Marvel film for Venom and Carnage, but it kind of is. It's it's in in cooperation with Marvel Studios. It's kind of their own universe, but still, they're counts. Marvel characters. So Black Widow, Shang Chi, Doctor Strange, Spider Man, and uh, um, Venom and Carnage mm-hmm. are all coming out mm-hmm. or have come out this year or early next year. And of course, we just have the Suicide Squad. So the the superhero movie release slate doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. And even though there are a lot of people who are bitching about saturation, I love these movies. I can't help it. I know there's a lot of them, but I'm going to see every single one of them just because they've really got me hooked. They got me on the line, and uh, I'm I'm not as much invested in the DCEU. I I, I think I probably watch those on a movie-by-movie basis because there's not a whole lot of coherence there. But at the same time, I mean, Marvel is, is one story. It's just one story told through different characters. Right, and in, and including in addition to those uh, movies that you mentioned, we also have the Hawkeye limited series coming. We have the What If, which has uh, been announced as being part of canon. Uh, yeah. So the What If series is going to be released actually next again. Week. Not going to spoil Loki, but the What If series we all know about the multiverse by now. It's in the title of the new uh, Doctor Strange movie. The, the Spider Man movie is going to lean on that heavily. We know there's a multiverse, and if you haven't seen Loki, it's not really a spoiler to say that there's multiverse stuff going on. So What If has been characterized by Feige and company and all the folks at Marvel as being not just possible hypothetical What If stories from an alternate universe, but because of the multiverse thing that's going on. Uh, all of those stories are canon. Maybe not the timeline. Part of know, the overall narrative. But the overall narrative of the multiverse, uh, every single one of those stories is going to be a part of the story, which is great. I fucking love that. Right, and then we got Hawkeye coming, and then we have uh, Ms. Marvel coming before the end of the year as well. I mean, so it's a very busy time for Marvel right now. Um, Gotta keep up. So, pretty exciting uh, to be a geek in this time frame, so... Uh, you had a movie you were excited about. Now, I haven't seen the trailer for this yet. Uh, I was going to ask you, did you see, before we move on, did you see the trailer for the Venom Carnage movie that just came out? Yeah, I did. It hit YouTube a couple of days ago, and I checked it out. And, um, you know, it looks, Cletus Cassidy, uh, Woody Harrelson, and the Carnage effects. I mean, I, I really, I watched the first movie. I think Tom Hardy's great. I think that take on the Venom character is successful. I really wish they tied it a larger MCU, but whatever. It's great on its own merits. But I did see the new trailer, and it kind of looks fantastic. I will definitely be seeing the movie, for sure. Right, and I was a little bit skeptical. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Woody Harrelson. I think he does a great job in that kind of crazy, kind of psycho kind of way. But yeah. um, the fright wig that he was wearing at the end of the first movie and that little stinger was kind of much. And so to see this new trailer and see him without it and see it a serious just reinvention of this uh character of carnage of cletus cassidy it looked fantastic Uh, i know i'm pretty geeked about it my kids over the moon geeked about it he's a huge spider-man fan and then uh it's not a superhero movie it's not actually even a superhero property at all but there's a new series that's going to be hitting Hulu next month that is based on a comic book, and it's one of my favorite comic books. I t- back in my comic book reading days, and I still read comics a lot, but uh, I-, I actually read quite a lot of comics um, back in the 90s and 2000s, and I really liked the indie titles. I loved Preacher. Uh, I really liked uh, Preacher with Spider-Jerusalem. But one of my favorite comic series that I read during that same time period was called Why the Last Man. And it was a pretty popular book at the time, but it's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. But it's one of those kind of landmark titles that people mention in the same breath as the ones I talked about a second ago, like Preacher and Transmetropolitan. 
um, because it was um, Brian Vaughn and Pia Guerra, uh, both of whom are, are great creators, and they came up with this idea of why The Last Man, um, a, <laughs> it's kind of timely now because of COVID and everything, but the, the central thrust of the, the idea of why The Last Man is a weird virus or event or something that never really, if I remember right, is explained in the book happens, and any creature with a Y chromosome, i.e. Um, people assigned male at birth, drops dead in a horrible, cataclysmic apocalypse just all at once out of nowhere. All the men, all the males just drop dead. And mm. it's, of course, a global crisis, and the, the global population is halved. And uh, it's also a treatise kind of on patriarchy because it takes a look at men being in positions of power and influence and then they all go away and there's this kind of vacuum um, not because women can't handle it but because women have been kept out of positions of power and influence for so long uh, before the women really uh, as, as, a, as a the only humans who are left sort of step in and try and figure shit out um, because again they've just been kept away from these these positions for a very long time so for the first time ever just by default they go down the line of succession and I believe it's the Secretary of Agriculture who's 12th in line for succession to the presidency is the first woman in the cabinet and she winds up becoming president and incidentally she's also the mother of the person who even in a, a story that's that's 99.99% populated with just women the central character <coughs> which again is a, another patriarchal thing but it's kind of a, a conspicuous for it is named Yorick and he in this cataclysmic apocalypse of 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 y chromosome having humans and creatures dropping off the face of the earth he is the only man who survives nobody really knows why but suddenly he becomes this commodity because cults arise uh people who want to try and repopulate the world arise and it's he and for some reason his capuchin monkey ampersand who is also a male they're the only two mammals left on the planet who are who have a Y chromosome who live through this mysterious apocalypse that kills all the men. So it's, it's a, an interesting story because I remember thinking at the time, um, this is a flight of fancy. It's definitely a sci-fi sort of like speculative fiction kind of thing. But I remember thinking, yeah, if half of everybody died and it was all the men, this is pretty likely what would happen. At first there'd be, of course, massive sorrow across the entire world because all the men have died. And then eventually after that period of shock sort of subsides, you have to pick up and move on. And, and the women kind of start doing it for themselves and figuring it out and rebuilding society. But it, it's really hard. It's really difficult to figure out how to move on and what to do and what all of this means. But there's a lot of socio-political uh, and, and socio-psychological themes that get touched on in this book. And watching the trailer, which came out this week, it really seems as though the casting is spot on. And it seems like they've preserved a lot of the story elements. I recognized some, some scenes in the trailer that were definitely from the book. And uh, it looks like a really, really faithful adaptation, and I really enjoyed the series. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I want to say, I'm going to look at this article that's right in front of me, uh, Why the Last Man it debuts uh, FX on Hulu uh, next month, September. September 13th. So that will be interesting, and I'm looking forward to checking that out. Well, that is one of the streaming providers that I... Uh use so i might have to check that out uh, that's again that's one of the ones that i've never really had a whole lot of experience with um they do have some of the graphic novels on comicology which i am a subscriber of now so uh, i'm gonna have to check that out now that i have comicology now that i'm sourcing my digital comics in a more responsible uh, uh albeit more cost 
more cost effective for for them and 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 it's not for me because it's more money out of my pocket but I, I I am rather enjoying the ability to read comics without feeling that overarching sense of guilt uh, from uh, any other methodology. So, uh, but that is on Comicology, so I'll have to check it out. I've been really surprised with all the indie comics that I picked up recently, and hadn't given any kind of uh, reading to that I've really enjoyed. Uh, and, and most notably, I'm referring, of course, to uh, Invincible uh, after that Amazon yeah. show dropped. So. I'll have to download some of those books and and give them a read based on your recommendation. Yeah. Your your why the last man great comic book series uh, going to be a yeah. good TV series. Oh, I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say. But I it was a great book. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was an interesting concept, well executed, and that's what I like in my entertainment. An original idea that's done well, and uh, so I'm recommending that. And uh, definitely check out the trailer. Why just the letter Y? Why the last man trailer? Just Google that. I, you know, if I read off a link, it's not going to make sense. But it's it's it looks <laughs> like it's really good. I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna really watch the hell out of that when it comes out. So, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff at all, that's the kind of stuff you'll be into. I feel like the quality of nerd media has just spiked so dramatically. Like, I mean, I I even loved like back in the day for for whatever reasons. Like the Blade movies were great. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. Uh, I liked, uh, I even liked like the Howard the Ducks and the Fantastic Fours and for whatever reason, yeah, yeah even the Roger Corman Fantastic Four I really enjoyed for its own merits. What I thought uh, was really but... interesting about the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, and this is a, an inexcusable tangent, I did see it. Um, we I do think, that. Yeah, we do that. The Mr. Fantastic effects were kind of a joke because they mounted a camera onto an arm and then followed it around. So that was disgusting. Right. But I don't think, and this, it's so weird how they prioritize things, because of all of the versions of that film that have come out so far, and of course I'll withhold judgment until the fourth iteration comes around, once Marvel finally gets the reins back, but of all of the iterations, the Human Torch and Thing effects were the best ones of the entire series, or the entire, in any version of that universe. Uh, they did the thing with an animatronic face and a real practical suit, and it looked fantastic. Yeah. The Human Torch effects were amazing. Wasn't that Jay Underwood as the Human Torch? Flame on! It was. It was Jay Underwood like, as Johnny From Storm all of was. those old Disney movies, like the Computer War tennis shoes and yep, and that's all the that one. shit. Like he was, uh, he was Disney's boy a long time ago, and so it was yeah. interesting to see him in that. But uh, no, I mean we've had comic media. We talk about the seventies uh, and eighties Superman movies, the eighties Batman movies. We've had nerd culture media for for forever i mean as long as there's been media but as long as there's been nerds yeah well i mean and that's a thing but i think it's our quality control has gotten through the roof which is why we get to be so uh nitpicky which i think is kind of a double-edged sword but uh because you know in the one hand we get like marvel movies we get these fantastic long story arcs 10 12 movie 24 movie story arcs that just absolutely lead everywhere and you also get like some really good one-offs from dc and whatnot you get uh like wonder woman or, or aquaman or and things like that but uh or shazam which was you know really underrated. shazam was fantastic i shouldn't i should have mentioned that one too but uh dark knight trilogy you get uh for good or for bad man of steel things like that I mean, and we get this, we have this wonderful glut of material now that we get to be so insular and picky about now, whereas back in the day, we kind of just had to take it or leave it. 
And mm-hmm. so I and I and I find that, like I said, I find that a particular double-edged sword with things like uh, uh, the review bombing of like Captain Marvel or uh, He-Man or or Masters of the Universe Revelations, rather, excuse me. But uh, at the same time, I wouldn't give it. I wouldn't sell it short for anything. I mean, I love having this giant lens focused on all the things that I care about and know that there's always going to be something in the works right now that I, I mean, cause I like indie movies. I like yeah. going to the movies and seeing the dramas and seeing the, 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 I don't want to say romance. now. I'm not really much of a romance movie watcher um, as it sits, but like, you know, I, I like going to see genre films. I like going to see like mobster movies and dramas and suspense and sci-fi and, on and on and on and on and on, but uh, it's nice to know that the things that I treasure in this world are going to continue pumping out new things and new iterations. Star Trek's doing it. Uh, Star Wars is doing it. Um, even uh, the Thundercats is a live-action CGI mix movie coming soon that they're yeah. working on. And, you know, I, I was mean, thinking about this yesterday, exactly what you're talking about, because I was watching The Suicide Squad, and what mm-hmm. really struck me about it, there were a lot of things that did. Um, because, you know, we, for better or for worse, we've come come to like sort of backhanded praise, uh, sort of uh, backhanded compliments to a lot of DCEU films that when they're pretty good, it's sort of outside the norms. So we have to say, hey, that was pretty good. But one of the things that really struck me as I was watching The Suicide Squad yesterday is just how good the King Shark effects were. I mean, usually mm. when you have a CGI character that mixes in with the rest of them, whether it's Gollum or whether it's the Hulk or whether it's whatever, they always have that sort of uncanny valley thing going on. They never look like they're quite organic, like they quite belong there. But the shark effects, the, the King Shark effects were so good that it was one of the first times I ever actually believed a CGI character when placed in a film of actual flesh and blood humans. It was so well done. And I loved the character. I mean, I think coming away from that, I think I leaned over to uh, to my, my lovely companion at the film last night a couple of times and just said, oh, I love him. He's my favorite. I think he was great. He was, he's appealing <laughs> much in that same way that Groot is appealing. And for many of the same reasons, um, it's, it's sort of not exactly a, a, an XB take on the character, but um, he is sort of like the big muscle, not quite monosyllabic, but um, definitely a limited vocabulary, sort of lovable brute kind of character. Uh, but I, I thought he was fantastic, and, and he... Not only was the character itself fantastic, but he, he looked amazing, and uh, thanks to Sylvester Stallone, sounded amazing, too. Ratatouille, what do you got? Bird. Now, now it. Stay off the comp. Um, so I'll do credit to the DCEU's CG team for bringing that character to vibrant life and making it believable. Total suspension Absolutely. of disbelief. I am brute, as it were. And, but uh, Yeah, really the same thing. Great, but just I, great. I thought... I thought he was great, uh, and, and kudos to uh, not only uh, Sylvester Stallone and Stephen Agee was the uh, on-set uh, body double for. Um, yeah, Steve Agee, who's, who's a stand-up comic who I love, who was also John Economos uh, in in Amanda Waller's uh, sort of war room. He was the uh, the big bearded dude who said, uh, you know, no, no, this is in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler, but who said, oh, we got a kaiju up in this bitch. Um, he was the guy who said that. So he's he, he was the onset motion capture for King Shark. Great comedian, great actor. Love that guy. But it uh, it took a team. It Just took a, a place and an actor and then a whole yeah. bunch of CGI folks who are really on top of their game to put this together. So uh, yeah. so much So fun. kudos to all of them for that. And, and yeah, I found myself during the movie going, oh my God, he's my favorite. 
And then me and, too. <laughs> I can't spoil anything. I want to say certain things about it, but I don't want to do it. So just, just go see out the and movie. watch the Suicide Squad. It's time. Or if you have HBO Max, it's it's not one of those Disney Premier Plus things where they charge an extra thirty bucks for it. It's on HBO Max, and because it is. I'll probably watch it again later because I, I actually, I want to watch it with the subtitles on this time because people were laughing so hard in my theater. I lost a good couple of jokes. So I'm going to want to watch that again. Absolutely. And uh, so, uh, again, unforgivable <clears throat> tangent, but I think, I, I mean, I just keep falling on the idea of we have so much nerd culture that we can fall back on. We've got yeah. so much nerd culture that is mainstream right now and it's just... It's a sight and a wonder to behold for me because, I mean, I always thought that we would be relegated to the back corner basement and nope. and here we are getting the bright shining beacon, so it's kind of cool. The geek have inherited uh, the earth, ladies and gentlemen. Indeed we have. And to that, uh, now, this is a show that I have not really gotten into yet. My kid is all about it. Um, Stranger Things uh, oh, has love been Stranger Things. Uh, delayed to 2022. Um, I know that was an article you were t- uh, specifically mentioned in because you you do watch the show. I do um, watch the show. It's it's a love letter to '80s horror cinema and Stephen King and all those things. And and I don't really watch many horror movies now, but I really did at the time at the, the time period that, that Stranger Things is referencing and paying homage to. I definitely read a lot of Stephen King, still do, and I watched a lot of those films. So Stranger Things is really a love letter to, to '80s shock cinema, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's. It got delayed because of COVID, like so many other things. It was supposed to be out, I want to say, late 2019, uh, maybe even early 2020, but it's being delayed until next year. And I thought it was kind of funny, again, a tangent in, in the middle of a tangent, but uh, because um, uh, it, it's been made pretty clear, it's it's not a secret anymore, that uh, the, the, the Hopper character, played brilliantly by David Harbour, who's an actor that I've loved for years, um, he did survive. It, it appeared as though he might not have survived the, the sort of wormhole closing at the end of the last season of Stranger Things a couple of years ago. But it turns out he survived. Uh, there was a, the trailer revealed that he got sent to a Russian prison. I thought it was funny because we have Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh breaking David Harbour out of a Russian prison in Black Widow, which again is not a spoiler. It's in the trailer, so don't at me. Right. But uh, I just thought it was great. So yeah, Stranger Things is, uh, is going to be coming out 2022 and looking very much forward to that. Absolutely, it looks fantastic, and uh, I mean, I've I've got to get on that train. But like we talked about earlier, I got a lot of shows to catch up on, and so uh, one of the cool things about my job is occasionally, like I'm sitting there waiting for crew, I'm able to sit and and, and watch media while I wait, and as long as I have an internet signal. Uh, so that's how I caught up with a show called, and this is another unforgivable tangent, but we do that. Uh, a show called Letter Kenny. Have you ever watched that? A lot of my friends do. It's not one that I've necessarily been uh, been too into. I've seen some gifts. I've seen some other things, but but yeah, as far as I know, uh, we, I, I really haven't. Gotten we talked about we talked about the main actor, Jared Kesso. He's uh, they've been trying to petition for him to be the new MCU's Wolverine. See, I'm tying it back in, kids. That's how you do a tangent. But uh, <laughs> they've been uh, petitioning to have Jared Kesso take over as uh, the MCU's version of Wolverine because he's Canadian and all this, that, or other thing. And uh, Oh, there's nothing better than a fart. Except kids falling off bikes, maybe. Fuck, I could watch kids fall off bikes all day. I don't give a shit about your kid. Either way, he's too tall to play the role. So, uh, but I mean, for that matter, know, so was... Uh, so is Jackman, but... Yeah. yeah. 
But if they're going to go for that that whole Marvel stamp of approval, they need to find us a five foot four, five foot five, angry person who can uh, act like a honey badger on screen with you know one foot metal claws coming out of his wrist. So uh, it's going to be difficult, but not impossible. I, I'd say that uh, they could cast their net out and get who they need. But yeah, that's just me. Unforgivable tangent. Closed. Well, speaking so, of unforgivable tangents. I'm going to whiplash and pivot to something else that I really thought was interesting this week that I wanted to talk about. Um, we we had our, our Aerosmith and Queen hour uh, a yeah. couple of episodes ago, which I thought was uh, was interesting. And there's a couple of pieces of Brian May news. Dr. Brian May, the, the guitar player for, for Queen and sort of a, a very... Um, renaissance man in the mold of like a I always called him the modern buckaroo banzai which I think is pretty accurate two pieces of Brian May news came out this week first and foremost they're actually considering kicking around a Bohemian Rhapsody sequel I don't know how I feel about hmm. that I actually was a huge fan of the first movie I really thought it deserved all the awards it won I thought Rami Malek definitely deserved that Oscar for his portrayal of Freddie Mercury although Gwilym Lee who played Brian May in that was just as good but they're talking about reuniting the entire cast and doing a sequel which I, again, how the I, hell would that I, work? Well, I really feel like they left it on a good note because if you want to make a feel-good movie, basically about somebody who, who did not have a feel-good ending, you want to end their story on a high note. So everybody knows that Freddie Mercury contracted HIV and died of AIDS in 1991. That's been something I've known for a long time because uh, I'm a huge Queen fan, and of course, when the movie came out. There were some historical inaccuracies that had to happen for the sake of screenplay structure and really having a coherent film. But overall, it was it was a love letter to the fans, and it was fairly accurate, even though there were a couple of tiny things that were kind of out of the timeline. However, they ended on Let's a high do. note. They ended yeah. on what, what many rock critics agree is the greatest rock performance of all time, Queen's roughly 20 minutes at Live Aid, which is fantastic. In 1986, now Freddie Mercury died in 1991. So if they're going to make a sequel to Bohemian Rhapsody, it would essentially be very sad. It would be people paying money to watch Freddie Mercury deteriorate Die. and pass yeah. away from AIDS, which is tragic and horrible. But at the same time, they did kind of leave the story unfinished. They, they did have a, uh, a tagline with a, a frame of text at the end of the film saying this was kind of their, their high point. Freddie, of course, died in 1991. So but those, those in between you know six years or so um, was not a good time for him. But they did leave a lot of music unexplored. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if you wanted to write that movie, it would essentially just be very sad and you'd have to, to, uh, to really watch this, this beloved entertainer who we all know is not with us anymore, deteriorate and pass away, which I don't know how they'd be able to put a spin on that movie that would, that would come anywhere close to having it be as engaging and beloved as the first film. Cause the first film had its tragic elements, but it ended on a high note and, and, and in a really good place. Uh, you wouldn't be able to have a happy ending for a sequel. And that just, to me, seems kind of ill-advised but that's neither here nor there they're talking about it the movie made money so of course any movie that makes money has to have a sequel and they did leave the story unfinished so if they find a right way to do it i am obligated to see it but the other piece of news that came out this week about brian may that i found was interesting is uh brian may is legendarily a very even-tempered and um a, a sort of a very approachable guy he's very calm he's very soft-spoken uh, he's very considered and intelligent. Obviously, he's got his PhD in astrophysics, which, <laughs> that's a thing. But he is a real scientist. That's the thing to remember. He didn't get an honorary PhD from some uh, college who, oh, you you right. rock, you're a fantastic performer. Like, you know, some celebrities get honorary doctorates. Uh, Brian May wrote his thesis on 
Space Dust Movement in the Zodiacal Cloud. I can't even understand the title, but this man is, suffice to say, brilliant. Uh, and he came out in reaction to Eric Clapton, who in oh turn was reacting to the Foo Fighters. I heard about this. Yeah, Dave Grohl said he, they, they just played a sold-out show at Madison Square Garden a couple of weeks ago to a crowd that needed to provide proof of vaccination before they'd let them in the building, which I think is responsible because Dave Grohl believes science. So Eric Clapton came out and said that he would not be playing to audiences where there was any discrimination. And he specifically cited somebody's vaccination status as the reason why he was saying that. Well, um, Brian May had some thoughts about that. Brian May, who I again will remind you is a real scientist, uh, according to Yahoo Entertainment, Brian May has just one word to describe people who are against the COVID vaccine, fruitcakes. And evidently that includes his own hero, Eric Clapton. Clapton has been loudly outspoken against the COVID vaccine and lockdown since they began. And May noted that while he definitely doesn't share those beliefs and a few other ideals Clapton champions, he still respects Clapton as a person. He said, I love Eric Clapton. He's my hero, but he has very different views for me in many ways. He's a person who thinks it's okay to shoot animals for fun, so we have our disagreements. And again, Brian May runs a badger sanctuary in his backyard in London, but I would never stop respecting the man. So he's not happy that, that uh, Eric Clapton has come out as an anti-vaxxer, essentially, because, again, he's a scientist. Uh, so there's a little bit of a, um, a, a snipey, snipey, fighty thing going on between two of the world's best rock guitar players. Um so anyway, uh, I think it kind of goes without saying that in all matters of everything, I side with Brian May because the man is a god who walks among humans. But he's also right about this. Even if he, uh, he, he wasn't a scientist or a fantastic guitarist, he, he still uh, is, is bang on about the vaccines. And instead of calling out somebody who, in every other way, is kind of his peer, is a hero of his, and saying, yeah, that's kind of the wrong way to think about this. Speaking of Dave Grohl, and this is not an unforgivable tangent because this is actually news. Hey, look at that. Uh, Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters were trolling the Westboro Baptist Church uh, at their show in Kansas right before the concert started. They're being, uh, because that's near the home of the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, they protest out there all the time. and So they're protesting out there with all their usual hate-filled slogans and signs and bullshit. Uh, so the Foo Fighters in their DG's attire, which is their disco attire, they released a disco album for, uh, album day, which I'm still trying to get, but it's going to be impossible. But, uh, they hopped on a flatbed truck, drove right in front of where the Westboro Baptist Church protesters were standing and treated them to a lengthy rendition of the Bee Gees, You Should Be Dancing. I saw the video uh, of this, and it is absolute <laughs> liquid fucking gold. Not just oh because they played God. the song, but because Dave came out, and the, the truck paused in front of the protesters, and he said, you know what, you guys are here, and, and that's okay, but I, I need you to know that I love you, because I love anybody, I love everybody, and that's what it's mm -hmm. all supposed to be about. Basically taking their own supposed Christian ideology of love thy neighbor, even though the Westboro Baptist Church doesn't really preach that, because they are anti-everything and very loud on their signs and their protests about it uh, don't rest in peace fred phelps nobody's sorry you're gone but no yeah dave Grohl came out and said hey we're supposed to love everybody that's what it's all about reminding these self-proclaimed christians of what their book that they're supposedly referencing when they stage these protests actually says and then yeah played a fantastic rendition of the beaches <clears throat> slash dgs you should be dancing and if you look up the video 
you really should look up the video. It, it's absolute gold. Not only is the performance good, but the fact that the Foo Fighters, one of the biggest bands in the world, would haul their instruments onto a flatbed truck and drive past their protesters and say, hey, you guys should really be following your own advice and your own book and loving everybody. Uh, but you know what else you should be doing? You should be dancing. Let's get some Wawa going. Fucking fantastic. Absolutely love it. Dave Grohl is he, t- he did it Full in stop. such a Dave Grohl way. He did it in a way yeah. that wasn't like... Because it could have been very easy to get on a truck and, and shout invectives back at them and be like, ah, oh, you suck. No, you suck. And fuck you. No, fuck you. And uh, it could have been very easy. I mean, with these idiots, it's real easy to jump on the hate train because... I mean, let's face it, they suck. There's really you know, no redeeming qualities to them. And, and Dave Grohl is maybe one of the ten people in the world who you never hear anything bad about, who it's okay to engage in a little hero worship over. And, you know, you put people like Bob Ross, Betty White, Dave Grohl, and uh, Steve Irwin, and all these people who are absolutely unimpeachably good. Weird Al Yankovic, great people you never hear anything bad about. Dave Grohl, let's remember, who was the guy who, when the Chilean miners were trapped about ten years ago, heard that they wanted an iPod with some Foo Fighters music on it, said, hey, when you guys get out of that hole, I'll fly you anywhere in the world you want to see the Foo Fighters, and i got some cold beer waiting for you. Come and see the band. Uh, Dave Grohl, who also uh, very recently, I mean, this guy, he broke his leg at a, a concert in Sweden, and then he went and had it patched up and came back and finished the concert. I mean, this is a guy you just never does that? bad about this guy. Yeah. And Dave Grohl also, as long as I'm sort of like worshipping at the altar of Dave Grohl, a number and of you should years be. ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago, there was a video that I also encourage you to look up. Uh, if you search for Rockin' 1000, this was literally a thousand musicians who got together in a town called Cesena, uh, Italy. And they staged a huge thousand person concert with a thousand drummers, singers, bass players. And oh, I did see this. In I a field this. in Italy. Yeah, where they played the uh, the Foo Fighters' "Learn to Fly." The end of the video. The organizer, a guy named Fabio got up in front of the camera and said, you know, Italy is a place where dreams can't easily come true, but our dream is to have the Foo Fighters come in place. Even though a lot of people are going to see this video, and last time I checked, that's something like 80 million views. This is a video for five people and five people alone. It's for Chris, (laughs) Dave, Taylor, Pat, and Nate of the Foo Fighters, and we really would love you to come to Cesena, Italy, and play a show. So Dave Grohl responded in Italian by saying your video is beautiful and we're going to come to your show. We're going to come to and play your show. And at the end of that particular tour, and again, it was almost 10 years ago now, I think, the Foo Fighters, at their own expense, went through a free show in Cesena, Italy for anybody who wanted to come, including all the folks who, uh, who staged that event. And at the end of one of their songs, this dude crowd surfed up to the front, they got him on stage, and he was able to tell everybody how much it meant to him that the Foo Fighters came. So Dave Grohl, one of the classic good guys of entertainment, um, trolling the Westboro Baptist Church with a little bit of DGs slash BGs in the form of you should be dancing because they also should not be hating. And you, it's hard to hate while you're dancing. So good on Dave Grohl. Saint Once again, he's Dave. impressed me as he has continued to do throughout his entire career. The man is just a fantastic human being, and I will pay money for anything he ever does in the future because I just want to support him that much. Saint Dave Grohl. You know I agree. Speaking well, as a saint uh, yourself, you know. Uh, mine's kind of a misnomer more than anything, but, uh, be that as it may. Uh, so I think that's it. I, uh, our news nerd, uh, so I think that's it. Our nerd news nexus examination of things is kind of crawling to a close here. 
what kind of news articles have you guys been up on? What kind of news uh, has been hitting your guys' radar? We want to know. We want to know what you're interested in and what you want to talk about. Uh, whether it's uh, sports news, even for our sports fans. I know we have some people who listen who are heavy sports fans. And that is a fandom. We've got our car contingent covered with my friend Eric and our good friend uh, Matt, a frequent listener of the show. Uh, But, I mean, what news articles are coming out that move you, that motivate you, that you want to talk about? Let us know. Hit us up on Facebook. You can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. You can hit us up in our Gmail, which is fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or the backup email at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always find the latest and greatest episodes at fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com or anywhere you get fine podcasts, and we hope you do. You can also find us on a variety of social media platforms. We are trying to do more with our Instagram. We're trying to do more with our Twitter. I just logged into Twitter for the first time in, like, uh, (laughs) several months and I realize how long it's been since I posted anything to that. But if you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can find us at fuel underscore your. That's our, our Twitter handle. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, fuel your fandom on Instagram. Um, in addition, you can find us on all of the various pay platforms. And the reason I mention that again is because of our Fuel the Future charity that we are raising funds for children who uh, need reading materials in their lives we don't let it be like one of those scholastic book fairs where the kids don't end up and aren't able to end up getting anything help them get the nerd related material that they so desperately crave into their hot little hands and create the next generation of fans you can find us on venmo at fuel your fandom all one word you can find us on paypal uh, which is fuel your fandom you can find us on Cash App, which is Fuel Your Fandom. We made it easy for you because we made it easy for me. I'm getting old and my mind is full of holes. So, <laughs> we want to thank you again for listening to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. And please do remember what I remind you every week. And I'm going to continue reminding you everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,